1: You're tuned in to an all-new edition of Talk of Champions, and this edition of Talk of Champions is brought to you by Modern Woodman and LB's Meat Market. Are you tired of working 9 to 5 for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else? Well, our sponsor of the Talk of Champions phone line is Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, and he's looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary, but you do have to be a resident of Mississippi. And what he's looking for is someone who is highly self-motivated and who wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits, such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. For more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas personally. You can find him on Facebook or his number is 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. That's Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. Talk of Champions is thrilled to welcome LB's Meat Market as one of its newest sponsors. LB's, the preeminent butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi, the place to go for any and all of your meat needs. Just right now, they've got the Lane Train Special, a six ounce bacon wrapped filet for $10. They got fresh seafood, grill packs, and a lot of different types of sausages. Put simply, if your grill is in need of meat, the only place to go in Oxford, Mississippi is LB's Meat Market. Give them a call today at 662-259-2999. That's 662-259-2999. You can check them out online, www.lbsmeatmarketoxford.com. Stop by and see them at 2008 University Avenue. That's just across the street from Kroger. It's LB's Meat Market, your butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi.
2: You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss spirit podcast with Ben
1: Garrett.
3: What is up on a Thursday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator as always is, actually psych, I don't do that podcast anymore, (laughs) this is the talk of champions, Uh, I'm Brian Scott Rippey, I didn't lie about that, but Colin Brister filling in for Ben who is taking a little bit of a hiatus, Uh, he said he might come back, said might not come back, we'll keep you posted on uh, what he decides to do, but for right now. It is you and I. Uh, did I have you going for a second? That uh, sounded familiar, huh? Dude, do not listen to both podcasts; are gonna have no idea what the hell I'm <laughs> talking about. But R. we, R. we should we should start a podcast Rip. Yeah, we, we should. It's almost like we did that before and we had an intro. Um, but <laughs> anyway, God, yeah. So uh, we talked about this last time. The podcast circle here of. We'll you, Me and you doing a podcast, you and Ben doing a podcast, then me and Ben doing a podcast, and now me and you doing a podcast on Ben's podcast is uh, quite the uh, circle of life, if you will. But uh, what are we talking about today? That was uh, the question before we started recording. But I think there's a decent bit enough to get into. Oh Miss got a commitment from another Canadian football player, which actually happened the last time me and you subbed in for Ben on the show. We'll get into that a little bit, probably – as nauseating as it is, I think we're going to try to dive into a discussion about COVID nineteen and college football. Stop me if you've heard that one before, but it's more geared towards like what SEC are saying, the Ivy Leagues decision, and all that, Jazz. So, uh, where do you want to begin? That's that's a really good question. Um,
2: I mean, we might as well touch on the uh, the commit from Canada. I guess Ole Miss has put a fence around Canada now. Uh, yes, so all, all of their players go to Ole Miss now.
3: Yes. The, uh, the pipeline also known as the Mississippi river. It is, uh, they drafted, I drafted, they got a commitment from a kid named Deon Dion, Leonard. Um, uh, he's a cornerback for the university of Calgary. He announced his intentions to transfer on Wednesday afternoon, six foot two 42 tackles and four interceptions last fall. Uh, to be completely honest, I was not a hundred percent aware until the last kid committed it was uh Tavius Robinson, from university of, I uh, don't even know how to say that. I was unaware Canada had major college football. That may be dumb of me, but were you? No, uh,
2: I knew they had football. I did not know that uh, they had players that could compete
3: on an SEC level, or at least I hope can compete on an SEC level. Well, I don't know what they're feeding these kids other than maple syrup, but the Tavius Robinson kid is 6'8", 240. So, uh, like, <laughs> size, I don't think oh, is an issue. wonder if <laughs> might need it. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, that's a... Uh, that's a nice body frame for Kermit. Stretch four, stretch fives. But anyway, they had a piece, They had a, a depth piece in uh, the defensive backfield, and you know that's a uh, that's a position that they should be better at this year. And when I say better, they were the worst defense in the SEC uh, past defense in the SEC a year ago. Played a lot of younger guys uh, either via injury or just a couple of those veterans just didn't play very well. And they were just kind of like, we're going to play the young kids by the end of it. Right. Tay Standover, you know, uh, AJ Finley, uh, John Stanley's not young, but he was a Juco kid, DeAndre Prince, uh, Kedron Smith. Right. So that's a young group that should be older by the time this kid's eligible. I don't have this for certain, but I imagine he's going to sit a year.
2: Yeah, uh, don't don't know about that, but I mean, look, that's a that's a position where I think for the first time in a while, right, that Ole Miss is going to be—I don't want to say good, but uh, average, maybe a little above average—and it doesn't feel like that's been the case. And look, I know, like in in 2017 and 2018, the defensive line didn't give them much help, um, so that exposed some weaknesses. But I think uh, th- this year's probably going to be their best secondary, probably what since 2015.
3: I mean, there's only one way to go from up, right? Like, they were the worst defense, <laughs> pass defense in the SEC by a decent bit. But you could, t- to your point, like you were saying, you could see kind of the seeds being planted at the end of last year, right? Like, they were really, really – I think they got average of 260-something yards a game thrown on them, which was worst in the conference. But you could see towards the end of the season kind of the seeds being planted of you know these younger guys making a couple of plays – Prince had a pick against LSU. Another one, Joe Burrow threw two picks in the old LSU game. I can't remember who the other one was, but the point being is like, you could kind of see them improving and, and kind of getting the hang of this thing. And there's really no substitute other than game experience. And they come into this year with another, another, I mean, a year of that under their belt. And presumably when this kid is eligible, they will all kind of be upperclassmen. So yeah, I mean, Twenty Twenty One Ole Miss defense uh, absent of a pandemic should be okay in the secondary. Assuming we're you know playing football by then. Yeah. Good lord. I guess we'll get to that topic of conversation in a minute. But yeah, Ole Miss adds a commitment. Uh, I get like I said, I don't know a ton about him. Don't not not well versed in Canadian football. Um, CFL is kind of. I wonder. Do you think college football there is three downs or four? Because the the CFL Ooh, is three.
2: That's a good question.
3: Uh, I would guess four.
2: Because you know to mimic the United States, but I don't know. I guess I guess I could Google it and see, but I I would guess four, but no no clue.
3: Some context to what we were talking about earlier is Ole Miss finished 85th nationally in pass defense.
2: Oof, not great. Because there's only you know 115 teams or so.
3: Yeah. Uh, but what they added the kid from Navy, Jacob Springer. So, like, they're, they, they're trying to shore that up, and he's eligible immediately, is he not?
2: I believe that's correct.
3: Yeah. 69 tackles, nice year a year ago, uh, playing for the troops. But yeah, so they're trying to shore that up as best they can. Uh, you know, I think the strength of Ole Miss's defense next year is undoubtedly going to be the linebackers, right? You get a healthy Momo Sinogo, you bring back Lakia Henry jocles jones that's a pretty salty unit in terms of you know experienced guys and depth
2: yeah yeah I, th- I like i said i think the secondary has got a chance to be okay now look the defensive line has got a chance to not be great and that at that point your secondary is not going to look good right because th- those two are kind of inter- intertwined um if there's not much rush on the passer then you know not many secondaries are going to hold up
3: Yeah, so it's interesting you bring up the defensive line because I agree, but it's why kind of one of those things, like on the surface, they could be okay. It just doesn't seem like there's any depth, right? Because the best player possibly on the defense, but without a doubt on the defensive line, is going to be Sam Williams, professional pass rusher, right? So, like, it's going, so that's going to be you know, kind of solidified over there, you'll likely have Ryder Anderson opposite of him with Chuck Wiley departing the program. Right. But what does it look like on the interior? Because I know a, a few of these guys, and I don't feel like pulling up last year's depth chart for a number of reasons, but like, you know, a few of these guys that use the quote-unquote outside linebacker position, but where pseudo-ends are going to return to that defensive end spot. But who's going to be on the interior, you know, where Josiah Coatney, Austrian Robinson, Benito Jones, all, you know, resided last year who is going to fill that because Uh it's a mix of younger dudes that haven't played a bunch of snaps right like quentin bivens katie katie hill ladarius cox uh patrick lucas that's really yeah i mean that's really kind of where where your question marks are there right both from a top line standpoint and your depth because you talk about the the ends not a ton of depth behind them but you don't even really know who's going to be playing in the middle
2: yeah i mean that's a really good point. And and man, if you get any injuries on there, I mean, I think T. Tisdale is going to start and I think he's a pretty good player, but it's, it's what you've got behind him. That's, I would say worrisome. Um, So you're going to have to play a lot of guys without a lot of experience and hope that they play well. And that's not always an easy thing to do in this league. So um, man, the the defensive line to me right behind the quarterback competition is going to be the uh, story of, I guess, if we have a fall camp.
3: Agreed because you saw what it looked like the last time they really couldn't generate much of an ex I don't think that an exterior problem or so, but they couldn't really generate much of a pass rush in twenty eighteen and that uh, that did not turn out well for the mighty rebels. That was, that was a uh, pretty rough, rough defense. The A and M game in particular comes to mind. I don't really know why, but like, you know, letting Kellen Mond have all day to throw in a game that you really still had a chance to win mm-hmm. until Late in the fourth quarter, I don't know why that one sticks out, but that was my
2: favorite game because the uh fans thought the defense played better as they gave up 500 yards.
3: There was, I guess, there was, yeah, but there was a uh, like they, they, but that remember that defense was so bad, they strung together a couple punts in a row to start the game, and you're like, oh, these guys, like you know, steel curtain, how did they touchdown? Yeah, they did, somebody scooped and scored from like 97 yards out,
2: yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, that's exactly who it was. That was, uh, and that was like a turning point in the game. That was kind of at the point it was early in the third quarter. A and M had kind of gathered some momentum and that happens at that point. You're thinking, Oh, wait a minute. They might win this thing. And (laughs) of course, yeah. And then, then they did not, uh, you know, that was as much, you know, you mentioned giving up 500 yards. But in a year where their defense really didn't give them much chance to win, they gave them a shot there, and Phil Longo did not take advantage of it. Is what I remember from that one.
2: Yeah, they just took the uh, fourth quarter off. They
3: tend, they tended to do that in twenty eighteen. Just fourth quarter wasn't their was their thing. No, but you got to remember, in terms of like being gas, like there was a couple games oh, sure. that year where they went in with what there was a game. I want to say it was Auburn. It was a home game in October of that season. Where I think they took the field with forty-nine scholarship players. Don't like but, submit me on that, but I know it was it was fifty or below. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't know how you win how do me win games in South Eastern Conference? Yeah,
2: that was the game that uh, everybody was like, I don't know, Auburn's been playing pretty bad. Ole Miss might sneak up on them. Then Auburn just sat
3: on them. You remember Ole Miss was five and two into that game. Yeah. That game they beat a horrible Arkansas team barely. But- their record technically said five and two <laughs> going into that game. What did their and, record
2: say after the year? Yeah, five, F- five and seven. And seven. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, remember they had South Carolina the next week after that, uh-huh. and there was everyone's like, "Is there a path for this team to win eight games?" And it's like, <laughs> "Oh, no, hold on." Like, <laughs> so chill out just a second. <laughs> that rainy game in Little Rock, they won to get to five and two it was one of the worst football games I've ever watched. If there's ever a game, uh, credit to Chamu and that offense for actually putting together that. That last march to get in the end zone. But if there were ever a game where you could award two teams a loss, uh, I present that as evidence.
2: <laughs> the uh, The Vanderbilt game later that year could have been one you presented as evidence. Oh man, That's was overtime. that the
3: catch? No catch game?
2: Yeah, the one AJ clearly caught and somehow they said he didn't.
3: Yeah, they kicked the field goal to go into overtime yeah, with a, a, and a one. Post, Yeah, with the postseason ban.
2: Oh, more than one. Luke was like, yeah, I'm going to kick a 38-yard field goal with my kid that really can't make field goals.
3: Yeah, you talk about inside baseball. Nobody cares about this. you talk about someone being in a bad mood. It's cold. There's no one in that stadium. And at that point, you're on the field. And uh, know, for being a bunch of nerds, their modern speaker system is is basically just a bunch of large amps set on the field level um, for the football stadium. So it just blows any sense of hearing you have out of the water. So I'm just wandering around that place deaf and cold wondering what's going on.
2: (laughs) You were probably begging Luke to go for it just so that'll get over with. Yes,
3: please, please, please get me out of the cold and back up into the press box that could cave in at any minute, but preferably so I could get my work done and then go to my warm hotel. But be that as it may, yeah. So they add the transfer. We'll just kind of see what that does to the depth. I don't know what it's going to look like this year, but presumably – they're going to be
1: better. Let's take a quick break in this edition of Talk of Champions with Brian Scott Rippey and Colin Brister. To remind you, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. The podcast is also available in SoundCloud and Spotify to simply search Talk of Champions. Brian Scott Rippey, myself, Ben Garrett, we write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. Talk of Champions is brought to you in part by Brennan Chapman of Homer, Skelton, Ford, and Olive Branch. Talk of Champions is brought to you in part by Brennan Chapman of Homer Skelton Ford and Olive Branch. That's right, Brennan. He spent eight years on the football staff at Ole Miss as a recruiting analyst, as he detailed brilliantly in a recent interview on this podcast. But he's out now, he's out of the game, having joined the family business, where his goal is to be with you through every step of the car buying experience from purchasing to financing to servicing all the way to the purchase of the next vehicle and the one after that. When you arrive on the lot at Homer Skelton Ford and Olive Branch, you'll quickly realize that this is a family business, which I can personally vouch for because I recently went through this process with Brennan. And I can safely say, if you're in his area, there's no one better to contact to help you find that car you've been searching for through someone you can trust. So reach out to him today at BrennanChapman.com. That's B-R-E-N-N-O-N-Chapman.com. Whether it's shopping new or used, Brennan can help you out. That's Brennan Chapman of Homer Skelton Ford in Olive Branch.
3: And then the next thing we kind of, I thought, wanted to get to just for a second is uh maybe buried the lead a little bit in terms of what's on the Ole Miss spirit site in the last 24 hours on Wednesday, I dropped a story on the Ole Miss Spirit zones, David Johnson's uh, fight with COVID-19 and then kind of his impending, not kind of his impending recovery. Uh, the man was flirting with death for a while, right? Like he, he goes on the ventilator, you know, he's given a 5% chance to live if he hadn't shown improvement in the next like, 24, 48 hours from that Friday, there's a 0% chance he was ever getting off. But if you want to go check that out, pretty in-depth look. Uh, his daughter, Sydney, they, I talked to uh, the pretty much the whole family, but his daughter, Sydney, was was great and did not spare a detail. Uh, she had to kind of go suit up and uh, go in the ICU room to basically wish him off that day, and the rest of the family kind of had to say goodbye through a, uh, through a FaceTime, which is just kind of an unimaginably tough way to, at the time, thinking you're saying goodbye to a parent, a guy you hadn't seen in over two weeks at that point. But cool story. Glad David's doing better. Remarkable. He's um, really just kind of a walking miracle. I mean, there's really still no clear medical explanation for for how he was able to recover, but he's walking a quarter mile a day, just celebrated his 49th birthday with cake and ice cream uh, and ribs on the 4th of July, and uh, doing well, and we're glad glad to hear it. Yeah, yeah, that was that was really good story and
2: man i I remember that it was i don't know it it, it was a somber time because i mean the odds obviously i think it would like you said five percent and and man you it back then too i know it's it's not great today but you really didn't know what animal you were fighting with this disease when all of this first started and uh when he got sent to the hospital and news started to get out that you know that how not great it was and you hear the five percent chance it probably just puts you in a dark place and it's crazy the the recovery he's made I'm, you know things are probably never going to be normal like they were again for him but man it's i'm, I'm sure that it's closer to normal than he ever anticipated it would be two months ago
3: sure i mean they you talk about not knowing you know even after he's able to recover and he goes on the ventilator for 21 days and of course comes off but it was really another four or five days before he was fully mentally lucid again for a number of different reasons, but partly just because he'd been in the hospital so long, he'd been out so long, but he's got so much sedatives in him because he was in a medically induced coma for three weeks, it took him you know a while to come to. And you know, everyone talks about the physical toll this takes on your body. It's also a huge mental toll, right? I mean, he'd been sure. dead to the world for three weeks and having to overcome that. But you the getting to my point, the long-term physical. Things They didn't really know. I mean, they, they, the Johnson family really kind of heard everything from he probably won't walk for a year, no telling when he's able to talk and hold conversations again, will be on oxygen for the rest of his life, to, you know, now he's walking on his own. I still believe he still sleeps with oxygen, but he, I mean, he sat with me for a 45-minute interview, seems to be talking fine. Like, he really defied the odds there, but they just couldn't get a clear idea of it, and it's, it's not anyone withholding information. I mean, these are medical experts. You still just don't really know. No, I mean, it's and that's kind of where I've struggled a lot with this is we, we keep, you know, getting
2: on these people for making predictions that aren't correct. It's like, this is the first time that anybody's ever dealt with this. It's extremely, extremely hard. And I know doctors are the smartest human beings on the world. Uh, but I, I don't know, man, it's it's a situation where you're dealing with a pandemic. That's this is the first time that it's ever encountered in the United States. And we have people that are getting upset with, you know, people that don't know how to deal with this because they've never dealt with it before it's that's that's something that's bothered me throughout this is i think you know we, we, we've got to be patient and, and be able to see things through because you know like i said doctors are extremely smart but when you're dealing with a pandemic and a virus like this for the first time you're not going to be able to get every single thing correct
3: of course not and one of the things that was maybe a little bit surprising to me was a little bit of like the liber- I don't know if it's libertarian, but laissez-faire view uh, David had on terms of the national discourse in this because, you know, <laughs> I'm sure Ben would love us getting political on this podcast, but not, not really. Just the national discourse can be kind of nauseating sometimes, but he, he had a very laissez-faire attitude to it. He, he you know, he, he one of the things that stuck out to me is he said at one point he's like, well, what is living? Like I thought about that recently. He's like, living is you know feeding your family and putting food on the table. And I'm not here to tell someone to shut down their business or close it down or open it up or or whatever. You know, he kind of kind of was a fan of freedom of choice. Um, sure. You know, he advised shortly to wear the face mask because he said, trust me, you don't want this virus. And I'm I'm going to take his word for it. But <laughs> you know, he was very, very pro choice in that sense. And and talking to Eli, he was kind of the whole family is kind of the same way. You know, they're a big football family, so they're probably a little biased. But their whole attitude is if you want to come buy a ticket to come watch us play, I'm kind of speaking for Eli here. And the way he said it is you want to come watch us play, then do it. If you don't, then don't stay home. You know, but you should have the choice to go in there and, you know, agree, disagree, whatever. I thought that was an interesting perspective from a family that's seen literally every side of the virus.
2: Yeah, and you know, I think it's I think it's the thing where you you're requiring people to be smart, um, and and that's not always the easiest thing to do. I think the you know I don't want to you know get too far into my political beliefs or anything, but I think the solution somewhere in the middle. I don't think you know shutting down the economy again is you know for the wise. Um, I also don't think ripping and roaring like we were in February is for the wise. I feel like we're somewhere in the middle. The problem is the middle is is a lot of ground. So. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it's tough to say. Uh, that's, that's why you rely on these people that are smarter than you. But like I just said a minute ago, the people that are smarter than you haven't really dealt with this before. So it's a tough situation. And I guess that kind of leads us into football season and, and, you know, the optimism or pessimism around it. But I, I think, you know, for me, the answer is somewhere in the middle. The problem is, where is the middle?
3: Yeah, exactly. And as, as, as that is a good segue because as we kind of wade into it, this has been a, a, a debate for the last three, four weeks or so that's really turned pessimistic in terms of is there going to be a college football season? Are there going to be fans in the stands? That whole thing. And part of the reason it's been sparked this week, right, is because the – have they have they come out with an announcement yet? The, the Ivy League was supposed to meet and then ultimately vote on whether or not they were going to have a season, shorten it or move it to the spring. Has that happened yet? I think it was supposed to be sometime uh, on
2: Wednesday. I'm not sure if uh, that's come out yet, but I, I remember seeing that the announcement was supposed to be on Wednesday, and I have not seen that.
3: Okay, so, but point, the all. it seems like all signs point toward them right. going to the spring from everything I had read. Sure, so, sure. You, you've got that going on, and You know, for whatever reason, people seem to think the Ivy League, who does not play on television and does not have millions and millions of dollars pumping in on TV deals and no one cares about their league except for Andy Bernard and some of their other alums like like their decision to me is not going to influence other major conferences. It may have an impact like in some like if they decide to shorten the season or shorten travel or whatever, they may take snippets from it. But them moving the season to the spring I don't think is going to affect major college football because for these major Power Five conferences, the the argument for the guy that says move it to spring, what no one's ever been able to tell me is what the next season looks like because you're going to ask these kids to play two football seasons in like seven months. No, you're not.
2: Well, okay. I've got some different opinions on, on what you could and couldn't do. I think if you started it in March and you finished in, I don't know, May, not not may if you started let's say february and you finished in june i think you could realistically start again in december and then you're kind of just trying to back it up again but i don't think if you finish in june oh look we're going to play again in september that's not how it's going to work um I, i don't know i don't think the ivy league from a uh well this is what the ivy league did so we need to do it standpoint is going to uh impact things i'm with you there my argument would be though they were the first people to cancel their conference basketball tournament because of the coronavirus and then everything else wound up canceling. Is it possible those people in the Ivy Leagues maybe are just smarter than us? I don't know. I think that might be possible, but it's a lot easier for them to move things to the spring than it is for Ole Miss or Mississippi state or the sec in general. Um, so no, I don't think, you know, the sec is going to look at the Ivy league and say, well, they did it. So now we have to, no, I don't think it would work like that. I just do wonder if the Ivy League views, you know, the future a little bit different than maybe everybody else does. And they think, look, there's no way we're going to be able to play in September. So we might as well go ahead and move it. And if that's their thought process rather than, well, let's just move it to March to be safe. Then
3: that's a little bit worrisome. No, that's a good point. And the, but the uh, to me, the whole NCAA tournament thing was them canceling their conference tournament and then not allowing their schools to compete, yes, they were out ahead on it, but I think part of that was kind of driven out of the fact that there was not a ton of skin in the game for him, right? One big league conference sure. tournament, not drawing a ton of revenue. I think there's an element of that to it, but I do believe the nerds are smarter than us. <laughs> and I think they did probably see it coming, but now with, with increased testing and, and having a, now nothing's perfect. I mean, look at major league baseball and the NBA right now, they're still yeah. figuring it out, but you do have a better idea of how to handle this than you did in March. And so I just wonder if they're just going off of it because it's not a moneymaker. I think we agree sure. there. Now, it's an interesting point on your, your idea of starting it in the spring and then kind of slowly phasing it back to in December and then maybe the next year, November, whatever. That's a really long-term effect. I think you could do yep. it. But what happens, uh, what happens to guys if you're playing a spring season and guys that want to go to the NFL draft? Because they do they play. just sit out the year? Like, do you just not play? Do you play part of it? Because some of these dudes, and you could argue the majority of them, even, I mean, you get past the first 15 picks, like most of these dudes need more film to kind of sure. increase their draft stock okay. and stuff. And so I guess they just don't play. No, I think I think the guys that need film play. Um,
2: I think that in, you know, my hypothetical where you start in February, I think there's a situation where guys play four or five games and call it a year. Yeah. Um, I've, what a weird place to be
3: if that happens.
2: Yeah, that, that, that is weird because you're looking at maybe like a, a – what's the kid, Justin Fields um, at Ohio State? What if he says, you know what, I'm done after five games? Um, I think there's a real <laughs> possibility. If, if I'm Trevor Lawrence's dad, we're not playing a football game in February. No, sir. Uh,
3: that's, that is not going to happen. Um,
2: so I, That's I th- a
3: great point, though. And let's take a break real quick. But uh, that, that's a great point. I'll let you finish that thought, and then I have uh, some thoughts on both of those as well.
1: We'll get right back to Brian Scott Rippy and Colin Brister in this edition of Talk of Champions after I tell you briefly about Alan Samuels' Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford in Chinese Pharmacy. We're all doing whatever we can to survive quarantine, right? It can be tough. We're making purchases to keep our sanity, to keep us happy. Maybe you're going on Amazon, hit an add to cart, purchase, maybe, just maybe you're in the market for a new car. And if you are, I know the place you should go. The only place you should go. And that's Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. From new and used sales to parts and service, Alan Samuels of Oxford aims to provide a truly stellar automotive experience. But what separates Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford from every other dealership is Alan Samuels aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Most everyone who's listened to this podcast should know by now I only vouch for sponsors. I truly believe it. If I myself have not had a personal experience with any sponsor, they're not going to be on this podcast. And my longest relationship is with Alan Samuel Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Why? Because I can't say enough good things about Brian and Mason and the rest of the team. I don't like to haggle. I don't like to negotiate. I don't like the whole process of buying a car. With Alan Samuel Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, you can avoid all of that. They're looking out for you. So give them a call today, 662-234-8000. You can stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. The only place to find your perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. Self-isolation, quarantine has brought about its own set of problems. Don't let your pharmacy be one of them. Cheney's Pharmacy, they've earned your trust. You can count on them. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally-owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there, hands down. Give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays, you can find them online at Chaney'sPharmacy.com. We've all got our own set of problems. Don't let your pharmacy be one of them. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. To your point on fields,
3: right? Like I mentioned the top, outside the top 15 picks, a bunch of guys needing film. That's a guy who does not need to play. Like a, he, he, he does not need another snap of film. No,
2: um, and, you know, maybe he takes them to stay in shape and, and to or stay in shape is not the right word, but to get back into rhythm before the draft. Um, but, you know, if I'm if I'm Lawrence's dad or his advisors, no, sir, we're not playing. Uh, same probably with fields. I, I don't know who the quarterback behind them would be, uh, but those are your number one and two picks. I don't really care, you know, what happens. So um, I, I think that's going to be the interesting part is is what where does it cut off at to Hey, uh, I need to be on the field and get some, get some film or, you know, like what number in the draft is it? You know, I don't need to play or I need to get on film. (laughs)
3: The, 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 even if you play a normal season in the fall, you're going to have positive tests and like dudes are going to miss games. And so I brought this point up before, but the college football, let's just say everything goes scheduled. I'm not forecasting it, but let's just say we play in the fall. But you're going to have tests, right? And dudes are yeah. going to miss time. The college football playoff arguments of who beat who without X player <laughs> or Y player is going fault. to be insufferable. But can you imagine in the spring if that starts happening with, I mean, you talk about that happening. If you do with the spring season with guys that are eligible for the NFL draft, that's going to start happening with major pieces of national contender football teams. Yeah. I mean, there's a situation, right, where Alabama's
2: defensive back, uh, you know, room breaks out with coronavirus. Well, they have to miss the Mississippi State game, and uh, Costello from Stanford just shreds them and they lose to Mississippi State because seven DVs missed the game. I think that's, I don't think that's unrealistic um, at all. And, And so now Alabama's got a loss to a, you know, five and five Mississippi State team because their whole defensive back room missed the, because yeah, of coronavirus, like I, I just kind of wa- I'm with you there. I kind of wonder how that looks like when we're talking about the college football playoff.
3: And the flip side of this, when we were talking about optimism uh, or not optimism, uh, three weeks of pessimism. But there are being kind of flickers of optimism in between all of this, which I think describes social media in a nutshell. But you're seeing SEC ADs like Ray Tanner talking about a twelve thousand fifteen thousand uh Kind of model for Williams Bryce Stadium in South Carolina. I think I saw another one with another SECAD the other day that I can't remember. The Baltimore Ravens, a professional football, different beast, but kind of issued a plan that, yeah, they're probably not having more than 20,000 until this gets better, those type of things. So you're seeing models in place there, which if you're kind of planning on that versus, hey, are they going to play games? Like that seems to be a little bit of optimism that you could have some people in the stands because uh, I'm not getting picky at this point, just from a career perspective and, and business and whatever, I would like college football to happen like right. normal and ASAP, but you know, preferably it would be kind of nice to have some people in the stands. Cause man, you play a football game with a completely empty stadium and I've been to Vanderbilt three times. <laughs> it's weird.
2: Yeah. Um, I had somebody suggest this the other day and I think this might actually be the most reasonable plan. Put the put the national championship game, in the, and I don't know if you can do this. Um, if you can, I think it would be, you know, a reasonable idea. Put the college football national championship games in, in March and have more time because I think we're fixating on, okay, we have to get this football season in from September to January, and that's how we have to do it. Well, what if you give yourself two more months to get this in? Um, I, I think that probably gives you more leeway to, you know, if you have an outbreak, maybe you can – Maybe you can remedy it and, and have more time to, you know, play games rather than, OK, we have to get all of this done in four months. I think that really, I don't know, it subjects you to having a chance where this has an outbreak and, oh, your season's over. Whether if you have two more months to, to do this, you
3: got a chance to get it in, even if there is an outbreak. And that 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 mindset you just painted seems to me from everything I've tried to read and stuff to keep up with this is more of the mindset that these athletic directors had. They would rather just slightly delay it. And what is slight? Slight could be a couple weeks, month, right. month and a half. They would rather delay it like that, start and finish, rather than just push the whole thing into the spring, which brings up an interesting point, because I know you have exams and Christmas break, and these guys are technically students. The NCAA would love to remind you that, but like, why, what is the, if you can do that, then what is the, like, I guess, what is the advantage of saying, screw it, we're going in the spring versus let's just push this back as long as we need to until it gets better and start when it's better.
2: Yeah. I, and I don't know that that's a really interesting question. My, my question would be, can you, can, or, oh, let's just take Ole Miss for an example. If you can't play college football until January, let's, let's say January the 17th is your first game. Good God. It will be cold. Um can almost survive financially not having football till January? like if, if you told Keith Carter today, hey, we're gonna play a full college football season on January 17th, we're gonna go 12 weeks and everything's gonna be fine. Would almost be okay to do that or would they still, you know have to let go of 70% of their staff?
3: I think they'd be okay because you're still getting the season played. I mean, it's just a couple months late, but I don't know the answer to that for certain. My, uh, you, you talk about Ole Miss. My question when you brought that up is would Oxford be okay? No
2: Oxford, because
3: it's already, you know, I mean, it's not specific to Oxford at all, right. It's Auburn, Starkville, whomever The, the small college towns are already really struggling from not having students there and not having a baseball season. And, you know, just in general, just limited capacity and, and, and closing early. You give them a couple more months of that without just frequent business and, can they wait that long on their seven football weekends in which they can cash in? I don't know. I, I don't I, think, I mean, they would. I, I, I would, I would shudder at the thought of what that looks like for the towns. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm scared to death what Oxford is going to look like
2: in four months. Um, it, it, the thought of not having football season. And then the, the, the thought of maybe not having students, you know, if you have an outbreak on your campus and you have to send kids home again, uh, yeah, the, the thought of, I try not to think about what Oxford would look like under that scenario, because man, it's, it's a different reality.
3: Yeah, it, it, it is. And that's that's another scary part of this. I, I do think – and my girlfriend's sisters are still in school. And so I was talking – we were talking about this actually earlier today. Um, was just like, like they're going partly – like they're coming back. But like classes over 65 students, I believe some of those are going online and stuff like that. So it seems like these schools, particularly in the south – plan to bring students back in the fall i actually think what georgia doing is kind of i saw some people disagree with this but the whole just in the semester at thanksgiving break and like do exams online or whatever it is i mean how they've already had a crash course with it after spring break this past year kind of doing that to prevent kids going home contracting and coming back i think is kind of smart but it seems like they're going to try to bring these kids back but to your point There's no guarantee because if there's just a major outbreak or whatever, then 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 what do you do from there?
2: That's what I like. Ole Miss has to. And and I don't want to get too far into what the school is doing here. But if you're Ole Miss's administration, if you're Glenn Boyce, if you're the people that make these decisions, I think you have to have a plan in place. Right. That. okay, what are we going to do when and not if uh, we have an outbreak on our campus? Because I think if you don't think there's going to be an outbreak on Ole Miss's campus, and, and and look, I understand the data. The the college kids aren't the ones that that, that are dying, but I still think that's a problem when you have when you have an outbreak on on your campus. Um, are we going to send these kids home? How how do you address it? And I think they have to have that answer. And it, it's getting time where that answer has got to be. You know, they got to have it now, like now.
3: Some poor kid on some poor guy on the last podcast asked that uh, question about. Things to do for his incoming freshman student, and my answer was stay in the dorm and wear a mask. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he is, i think he was talking pandemic aside, but like, <laughs> play, play some PlayStation. Uh,
2: get, get you a PlayStation. Get you some Fortnite. Uh, old Misses, did you have problems connecting to Ole Misses internet when you were in the dorms? Because I did.
3: No, okay, so that was actually—I I don't know which dorm you were in, but I was in Stalker. That was the you one. Know. The one issue i didn't have like ours is pretty strong out of all the other things you know the black mold the uh whatever you saw in the bathrooms every morning you know those minor things the, the internet was solid for me man <laughs>
2: uh, i mean the the computer internet was fine it was connecting like my xbox to to the internet that was problematic um and god knows if you don't have internet on your xbox you have a problem in college um so yeah i i, I mean we'll talk about this for a second let's just Let's pretend that what year did you graduate? 2013. You feel old. Yeah, that's to, to high school, to, 2013. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let, let's pretend you're you just graduated, and and this this is happening now. If you're a freshman. Why would you spend all of that money to come to Ole Miss to take four out of your
3: five classes online? Well, you you bring yeah okay. So we I almost brought this up a second ago, but I'm so scatterbrained, my mind just immediately forgot about it. We start talking about the Ivy League. Harvard announced all online only classes, and they're still charging full tuition and out of state. Like, like for the colleges to scam people, you're just giving them bulletin board material. (laughs) I mean, if I'm a college freshman right now, I'm not
2: going to a a school that is going online. Um, and and if I'm you know, if I, if I've signed up and four out of my five classes are online, well, man, I'm just going to go to the junior college down the street. Um, you know, and when things are back to normal, I'll go to Ole Miss, but I'm not going to spend whatever $8,000 is, you know, an academic year on, on tuition to go
3: sit in my dorm room or in my apartment. So that's an interesting point you bring up because I'm trying to think back to my freshman year and I had, I could be totally misremembering this because, unfortunately, that was a long time ago at this point. But, you know, I had a lot of smaller classes. I had some big ones, like the your freshman mass were big. Is there some sort of incentive for the school to make freshman classes smaller so more of those are in person? Yeah. Because once you get off that, like once you get past freshman, most of these other kids are living off campus. And right. so they're probably going to want to, you know <laughs> – 19, 20 year old kid, freedom purposes, live in their own house that they yes, signed the lease for. To stay with their parents. Exactly. So, is yeah. there any incentive to do that? I don't know. We're getting way off in the weeds. Like that's galaxy brain stuff. I'm just wondering <laughs> if, if if those conversations have been had because there's so many moving parts to this that it's just it's just crazy. But I guess tying it back into football, to me, the more likely scenario seems that this just kind of gets pushed back until there's a plan. Because I wonder so. I, I've noticed in, on some certain political sides of the spectrum there's a little bit of a growing notion of this is just part of our society and we're going to have to yep. deal with it. So tying it back into football, whether you agree with that sentiment or not, I, I'm not saying I agree or disagree, but I wonder if the most likely scenario is just pushing it back until you it dies down, A, it dies down, B, you have a better understanding of how to make it work, or C, it just gets to the point of, well, we got to do something. We've got to go back to normal, and you just go from there. That, to me, seems more likely than shoving it to the spring, in my, my opinion.
2: My, my thing with C, and, and, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, my thing with C, and, you know, hey, we got to get back to normal. It, it is what it is. I feel like that time has come and passed, right? Like, I feel like if
3: we were going to do that, we, we would have done it by now. Um, it so- seemed like. So it seemed like we were slowly starting to do that, and then people, A, got too lax with it. You did have – you know, and I'm not saying this is good, bad, or indifferent, but you did have a lot of justified protests and and, and people gathering and and, and things like that again. And that seems like coupled with the laxing of it and a lot of mass gatherings across this country, it seemed to flare up again. I mean there's no way those two things aren't correlated.
2: Um, you know, and, and that's fair. I just wonder, I, I wonder about the, you know, hey, it's here, we got to live with it. And I don't necessarily disagree with that notion. It's just, um, you know, if that's the case, then let's get to live. Like, I, I don't think you, I think you've got to start making decisions. And that's my thing with this. I feel like we, we continually kick the can down the road and then we don't make decisions when we, you know, get to the can. Like, I feel like decisions and, and things that we have to do are just getting put on, put on hold. And at some point, somebody's got to like lay out a plan for how we're going to handle this going forward, or, or we're going to just keep kicking this can down the road for perpetuity. So that that's been my, you know, struggle with this is all right, let, like, let's start making decisions. Cause like people got upset with me, uh, when I, you know, back in May, when, when schools were announcing, Hey, we're going to school or, Hey, we're going to be online. Like, you have to start making these decisions at some point. And I feel like it right now, we've got to start making some
3: decisions on college football. Like, I don't feel like there's much more kicking the can down the road. Yeah. Agreed. And like that, that we were talking about this on Monday's pod, but like this was supposed to be decision time. You're supposed to start making decisions now. And now the thinking is late July, early August where well, you can't really get past much late July. Right. Like, yeah. Like, gotta you gotta make a decision that, yeah. I mean, it just, the, the, uh, there's the, the growing pessimism from an uh, regarding an on time start just seems to be growing, and it seems to be more and more unrealistic. Now, what does delayed mean? How far back does that? I guess that's what we'll. I guess that's kind of the answers that we're talking about. I guess we'll kind of have to figure out those in I'll, the coming weeks. I'll ask you a two part question.
2: Uh, does Ole Miss and Baylor kick off in Reliance Stadium at on September sixth at six o'clock?
3: I think a month ago I would have told you yes, but I think I'm saying no now. Okay. Do they play outside in
2: Baylor? Because I think that's two different things, right? Like, I think we've at least established that this spreads more rapidly indoors. You think there's a possibility that they're playing Baylor, or do you think that the season
3: just doesn't start that day? I think it's more likely the season doesn't start that day, but when they do play the game, it may be more likely that it's in Baylor. Yeah. I, I don't think that game
2: happens in Reliance Stadium.
3: Yeah, I mean, at the same time, it is a larger stadium, so you can kind of spread out more. Like that was kind of the one benefit of like Reliant Stadium half full or less than can be thirty five thousand people. That's more than you're putting in the vault, obviously. And I don't, I don't know enough about Baylor Stadium to know the capacity, but yeah, I, I don't know. There's did so many throw questions. There for Texas Tech two years ago. I did. I was there. Very nice stadium. It was awesome.
2: What I was going to say is, do, do you know what
3: the attendance was? Yeah, I looked this up the other day, so it was. Forty-one, if I'm just okay. not mistaken. So well, that was just that? over I, halfway full. Se- seats eighty. Okay, so
2: you could you could have made that
3: work then. Oh yeah, no, you could definitely have made it work in a perfect world. But is half capacity safe at this point? Who knows? And Baylor's stadium is forty-five thousand people capacity, according to Wikipedia. Is that right? There's no way that's still right. no. I no. guess they just built a one. Get- they built a new one on the river, but hold on. Let's see. <laughs> it's great podcasting, but I mean, it says Dave Aranda says McLean Stadium. Huh, that's crazy. If they only built a forty-five thousand seat stadium. I mean, there is no. Well, it is three quarters. Of, I, hell, I don't know. <laughs> There's no. That looks too small, just looking at the pictures. But it says forty-five thousand seats. Let's just call it fifty-five. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, but it just seems more like more and more likely that this that this start is getting delayed, more like rather than moving the game from somewhere else. I just it seems increasingly less likely that Ole Miss is playing football the Sunday before Labor Day.
2: And you know the spring thing, man. Can you
3: play football, basketball, and
2: baseball all at the same time? Like is that is that feasibly possible? Because like I, I don't know if you have the staff to be able to do that. Um. <laughs> That's Ooh. a great question. I, I don't know. Like, I would like someone to ask Keith Carter if they can actually do that. Because my God, can you question. imagine? Can you imagine like ten thousand people at an Ole Miss LSU baseball game at like one p.m. and then like seventy thousand or sixty thousand at Ole Miss Florida at seven thirty? That like, good God.
1: Going to take a minute briefly in this edition of Talk of Champions with Brian Scott Rippy and Colin Brister to let you hear from BNA Bank and Mosquito Marshals. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Are bugs ruining your evenings outside? Do you want to reclaim your yard from those pesky bugs? Well, Mosquito Marshals is here to help, to let their customers and their families enjoy living outside again. At Mosquito Marshals, their top priority is to keep their customers bite-free by providing the best mosquito control services in the industry. The goal is simple, to protect their customers' homes and businesses from mosquitoes, fleas, ticks, and they stand by their results. If you're not 100% satisfied, they'll respray your yard for free. But how do I know this? Because I have first-hand experience. Mosquito marshals rode out to my house and sprayed my yard. Took them no time, and I haven't seen a mosquito since. And trust me, I'm just like you. In quarantine, all me and my daughters can do is go outside, ride a bike, play some ping-pong in the garage. Don't let a mosquito mess up your good time. No, schedule your appointment today. You can give them a call at 662-715-1818. That's 662-715-1818. Or visit Mosquito Marshals online at mosquitomarshals.com. Mosquito Marshals, serving Oxford, Batesville, Water Valley, New Albany, Pontotoc, wherever you are, they'll come to you. Mosquito Marshals.
3: Finishing up your thought, no, I can't. Like, I I, I I mean, even if you stagger the game, that's a lot of, I mean, if you have, and if you have student volunteers there, that's a lot of students working overtime.
2: <laughs> and then, Mandy, you're going to play at the pavilion on Sunday? Like, good Lord. Cause you can't, you cannot feasibly play basketball and football on the same day. Like, I don't think
3: that's even remotely possible. I'll tell you what though, man, from a viewership perspective and from a wagering perspective, like <laughs> <laughs> that's sports nirvana. You got you got stuff all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's that's a and that was the that was kind of the narrative right at the beginning of this whole thing. I remember when I was still doing the radio show, was like, yeah, this really sucks now, but if we can get this out of the way, the fall sports lineup just has potential to be like the greatest thing that's ever happened to American sports ever. Now, of course, that looks increasingly unlikely, unfortunately, but like th- there's a shot that that would have been you know the greatest fall sports of all time to have golf football baseball all going on at the same time i mean just insane but speaking of golf when when is the masters supposed to be the masters is supposed to be i believe early november now early november um,
2: but they're starting the pga tour again
3: soon, aren't they oh it's already been started it's been going on oh, for month. Really? the pga oh, okay. tour started back in late may without fans in the stands and that's the craziest part of this whole discussion about well you know the, the MLB shouldn't come back. The NBA shouldn't come back. Well, like golf is doing it right up under our noses. And like, I guess most of the mainstream too. is not noticing now. Granted golf, much different sports. Sure. They're not having fans like the Nate, like what stayed open during this pandemic, right? Like essential businesses and golf courses, because you really can, if you're responsible about it, socially distance on a golf course in professional golf, they play no more than three people. And on the weekends, it's usually two. So like you can socially distance, you know, Easily, um, but the pga tour has done a good job. They've had, you know they, they played the first week in fort worth with no problems They played the next week in south carolina and had a little bit like they, they uh, They're one or two players. They pulled them out the third week. They played in connecticut and you started seeing more and more guys It was like four or five players. I want to say a couple caddies, but they, they kept the tournament going They pulled them they pulled anyone in close contact with them out of the tournament And then last week where bryson DeChambo won at the rocket mortgage in detroit You didn't have as much of it. So if there's a model in terms of just kind of testing and handling it, granted, it's easier to do it on the PGA tour because it's 120 guys on a weekly basis and caddies and an outdoor sport where you don't make contact with each other. But there is a model of a sport doing it right now, if nothing else. Are are these golf tournaments, and, and I'm not asking for coronavirus sake, I'm just curious, are these, like, have they played any majors yet? no so the, the first major is supposed to be uh the PGA championship in August in San Francisco without fans and okay. then you're going to have I believe the. US open in September and then the masters the only one that got cancelled was the open championship it was okay. supposed to be in late July and they just nixed it until 2021 don't, so they, you're they're slated they, to have three majors don't they usually have one in uh, England? Yeah, that's the the the, the, they so it's called the British Open. They they rebranded and called it the Open Championship. Now, not really sure what's behind that name uh, or why, but uh, that (laughs) is uh, the one with the really really
2: hard course, right?
3: It's just different. It's link style. Like there's no trees. Like a lot of wind. It's just a different style of golf than they're used to playing. Which it's a lot of fun to watch because you're watching a bunch of dudes hit shots that they don't ever have to hit. (laughs) But so if you play a lot for it. During what? the have you played a lot of golf during the pandemic? Ah, oh, do every weekend. I've never. I was telling. <laughs> uh, I was talking to Thomas Dillard the other day for just a little like update on what some of the baseball players are doing, and like he and Gray are like, yeah, I've never played this much golf before, and I was like, me too, man. Hadn't had about baseball season off in, in a long time. The golf game is in great shape. Getting a little too hot <laughs> to be playing, but uh, do you, do you yeah. think Bob's a golfer? I think five is a very social golfer. So if it's like a social event type of thing, he will play. But is my understanding that, uh, that five does not play a ton of a uh, ton of golf. Maybe he picked it up in the quarantine. Who knows? <laughs> but I, I, I didn't, I didn't, you and five should go golfing sometime. I'm sure that would go very well. We'll should ride in the same cart and I'll give him <laughs> pointers on how to play. <laughs> oh, but, uh, wrapping it up. Really? Is there anything else? Uh, oh, miss wise. That's, that's been happening. I know everything's just kind of tied into COVID-19. We mentioned the commitment, you know, there, there's just not a whole lot else going <laughs> the, on.
2: I, I, I'm struggling for for sports of any kind. I, I am keeping up with old Mrs. guys in summer leagues like that. That's where we are from a from a sports
3: perspective for me. Um, yeah, I threw up but one story <laughs> last week on Kessinger playing, like, you know, what he's doing in his off time, and then one di- earlier this week with, with Dillard and what he's doing in his downtime, and it's just interesting. Like, they're, they're, you know, they Dillard was funny. He was, I was like, well, you know, what happened once the announcement happened? He was like, honestly, I'd assume the minor league, the ca- minor league season had been canceled for a month. Like, the announcement surprised me. I thought it already happened. Uh, so they they obviously and everyone knew but like right. they barely got the big league season done but it it's interesting listen, listening to them talk because they're having to the transition from more of a like stay in baseball shape and be ready to go at a moment's notice to now it's kind of more of an off-season program that it's more conditioning and stuff and you don't want to wear down your body and you know they just don't really know what the future holds for them and you know it's not the worst thing in the world because everyone's in the same boat, but those two guys did just lose their first full season of professional baseball. That's not easy.
2: No, no, absolutely not. Um, so that uh, – and, and, you know, I, they have, I think, Bench and Elko and Diamond are playing somewhere. Um, I can't remember where. Um, for, I think, the Northwoods League. So uh, at least – you know, Diamond probably needed to get in a lot of work. I know that, you know, his, his season being cut short probably hurt him greatly so it's good to see that those guys are back on the mound um and at the plate so i don't know there's there's not much going on right now so that's that's kind of been my uh my keep up is is i've been
3: keeping up with how old mrs players are doing in summer
2: league so yeah
3: (laughs) i mean you do have a couple summer leagues playing right the one in georgia with the savannah bananas and uh whatever that league is is playing and then there's one or two others which is interesting Uh, i believe the, the cape the cape got nixed right
2: uh, yes, the Cape got next,
3: but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. There's like these random pockets of sports going on, right? You've got the, the, I believe the MLS is about to come back. You know, I was in the Dallas Fort Worth area recently and, uh, the Dallas team has just had too many positive tests. They're just, their seasons toast. They're not participating in the resumption. Yeah. So. Or the start, whatever it was. I'm so MLS yeah. ignorant. Just. Yes. Uh
2: man this it's it's getting more depressing by the day right like you just like sports gets, it seems like we're always like a month away from sports i guess when the mlb starts
3: i'll be okay but
2: man it's it's just getting more and more depressing
3: yeah i know and it's kind of just like like is this going to go away like, like- <laughs> <laughs> I keep, I keep, I'm like a four year old. I'm I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to go to sleep and this is going to be gone tomorrow. And then I wake up and it's not gone and it makes me angry and I throw a tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of the hope,
2: right? Like you just hope one day I wake up and somebody <laughs> decides coronavirus is over.
3: Yeah. Come on. Like, I mean, that or a vaccine, like get to work nerds. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Ugh. It's just kind of, I don't know. It, I, I, I feel like I've said this for four or five months now. Uh, but it seems like the next month and a half is going to be crucial in terms of knowing what kind of sports we're going to have, if any, because like in the next month and a half, you're going to get the MLB and the NBA trying to restart college football is going to make a decision. It, it It's going to be fascinating. Yeah.
2: So I, I think we've got to make a decision in the next two weeks on college football. Um, otherwise we're, are you're, you're you're risking not being able to get enough training time in for a bunch of places that, you know, didn't have spring practice. So, <laughs>
3: No kidding. And, like, Tudu and I, for the spirit, have been doing a couple, like, videos a week just kind of previewing, you know, positions and stuff like that, just kind of manufacturer-type content stuff. But, like, every time we ask a question, like, what's this going to look like? We're talking about the 4-3 multiple defense. It's like, well, it would help if we'd see them on the field. Like, if they could practice, <laughs> that would be helpful. <laughs> that would be a nice thing to have. So, it's like talking in circles. Like, I think Ben described it as Groundhog Day uh, that's a pretty accurate depiction of what, what this feels like on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you got anything else? I think that about covers it. We I just ranted about-, about COVID-19 for an hour.
2: <laughs> oh, which has been the last four months. But no, I think that's about it.
3: Well, we appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, me and Colin held it down, uh, substitute teacher style, uh, while the, uh, <laughs> the, the strict normal teacher is out on vacation. But everyone goes subscribe to Talk of Champions. Rate and review, talk of champions. I believe the deal Ben cuts you is if you leave five stars, you can say whatever you want in the comments section. You know, make fun of Ben, make fun of me. I don't care what you do. But anyway, we appreciate everyone tuning in and we'll be back on Monday.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $129 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $249 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon.